Welcome to America's Heroes Group podcast with information and resources that's disseminated intentionally to empower our military population with host Vietnam veteran Cliff Kelly, co-host Iraq veteran Colonel Dr. Damon Arnold, and co-host Army National Guard veteran Sean Claiborne. And now, America's Heroes Group podcast. Welcome back to America's Heroes Group. This time our roundtable, we are globally connected. Military Family Matters with our partner and family caregiver, Keisha L. Jackson. Today is Saturday, April 1st, 2023. April is Sexual Assault, Minority Health, and Autism Awareness Month. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Cleveland, the co-host. Our executive producer is Glenda Smith. And our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega, Scouts Honor Productions. And Keisha is back with us again. She's a U.S. Air Force veteran and a family caregiver. How are you doing, Keisha? Hi, Sean. I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. And you brought us a great person today. That is retired General Larry O. Spencer. He's a retired yeah. four-star general, served over 40 years in the Air Force. General Spencer is the president of the Armed Forces Benefit Association, the AFBA, chair and president of the Five Star Insurance Company, and author of the book, Dark Horse. How are you doing? I am doing great. How are you? Good. Thanks, for, thanks for having me. My pleasure, sir. So tell us, we want to talk about the first, get a little bit of information about this book you wrote, Dark Horse. Tell us about this book and also what is the lesson and the, and the message of the story? Sure. Well, thanks for asking. Yeah, I wrote Dark Horse for several reasons. Uh, one is, as you can imagine, uh, since there's only nine African-American four stars in the Air Force since the Air Force's history hmm. or inception in 1947, a lot of folks come up to me and ask me, well, you know, how do you make four stars? Well, you know, that's actually the wrong question. And, you know, without dragging you into, you know, a lot of military jargon, you know, if you're a captain, you know, you should be worried about making major, not worried about making general. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, implicit uh, in that question was the assumption that I had some sort of uh, privilege, some sort of, you know, my one of my parents was a general, you know, I went to the Air Force Academy, you know, th- there was something that uh, propelled me to that uh, uh, rank. Uh, absent, sort of just really hard work. And so I, I, wanted, I, re- I wrote the book because I wanted folks to understand uh, that, you know, I came up the same way they did. I, I grew up in the same neighborhoods they did. I had the same challenges and difficulties they did. Uh, but thankfully, I was able to uh, keep my um, myself focused on my goal uh, and ultimately reach that goal, at least my military goal. Uh, the other part of it was uh, I wanted to leave some life lessons that I thought might help people. And so there are several lessons in the book. Uh, I, I won't cover them all, but, uh, you know, many of them go through sort of what I learned in life and help them, help, hopefully, will help others to achieve their goals as well if they stay focused on uh, what it is they want to accomplish. And give us a little snapshot, a little, like, little tidbit of what the book is about. The plot or the or the, sure. or the, or the, or the uh... sure it starts off. So I was born and raised in uh, Southeast Washington D.C., uh, inner city neighborhood. And as I tell folks, you know, um, segregation was was had long been overturned by the time I was born, but it was practically segregated because you know I lived in a black neighborhood, went to a black church, went to a black school, and what was uh, interesting for me was that. You know, I didn't see a lot of role models in my neighborhood, uh, didn't have a lot of mentors. But when I traveled outside the neighborhood, when we went to a doctor, you know, a doctor was not black. We went to, you know, the stores or my father went to buy a car. Um, so I had to, you know, 
as a kid, my favorite superhero was Superman, and even Superman was not black, so or Santa Claus. So, you know, I, I wrestle with all of that, you know, with self-esteem and self-worth, trying to understand that, you know, those positive images I saw didn't look like me. Uh, and so it, it starts out with my uh, initial upbringing in D.C., uh, which, you know, didn't have very good schools. Uh, as I mentioned, sort of a tough neighborhood, uh, you know, a lot of fights. Fortunately, then the guns weren't prevalent as they weren't as prevalent as they are now. So it was mostly about getting into fights and getting into trouble and, um, you know, stuff like that, you know, typical inner city neighborhood activities. Uh, and then it progresses to when I actually joined the Air Force, enlisted, um, right out of, a little bit out of high school. I was actually playing uh, semi-pro football in the D.C. League at the time. Uh, and then that led to me joining the Air Force. Um, and then the book progresses through, um, and I'll, I'll tell you a story here in a second, but uh, I, I did get to spend the summers on my grandfather's farm, uh, which was very interesting. And then it goes through sort of my joining the Air Force enlisted, some of the issues I had to go through, even in the Air Force, you know, dealing with uh, issues, N-word, you know, things like that, and uh, getting my degree, becoming an officer, and then progressing my way up uh, through the ranks. And all the challenges and uh, situations my wife and I found ourselves in as we tried to traverse uh, the military structure. But as an example, um, you know, a lot of folks ask me what was the most important life lesson uh, I ever learned. And, and I'll tell you one about on my grandfather's farm, which was located in the southwest of uh, Virginia, about uh, 20 miles south of uh, Appomattox, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And I, although I was a city kid, I got to spend the summers on his farm. He grew tobacco. Uh, and generally, I had a cousin that would spend the summers with me. Uh, so we kind of hang out, work tobacco, and it was really, literally out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and one summer, though, in particular, when I visited, my cousin wasn't there yet. He was visiting his mother in Philadelphia. And so our normal routine was we would get up every morning. Uh, you know, I had chores to do, feeding the hog, that sort of thing. And then we would get on his tractor. He had a platform tractor, and we would ride out to one of the many tobacco fields and work until it essentially got too hot. Well, this particular morning I got up, and rather than get on the tractor, my grandfather hitched up this big horse that he had. And behind the horse was a platform. And just a flat, almost like a, just a flat platform, no wheels on it. Uh, and so he, on that platform, he put a plow. And I sat on the platform with the plow. And the horse, he and the horse pulled us out to one of the many uh, empty fields that he had. Mm-hmm. And so when we got there, uh, he hitched the plow to the horse mm-hmm. and started plowing these perfect roads up and down. And, I, you know, again, I'm 11, 10, 11 years old from D.C. I, that was all new to me, I was transfixed on this thing, watching he and the horse sort of in perfect rhythm, going up and back and forth, up and down the roads. Uh, just unbelievable. Uh, now, by the way, again, I, you know, my, as I mentioned, I was from D.C. My grandfather kind of viewed me as this sort of lazy kid, you know, didn't know anything about work. Uh, and, and, and he and I had been talking uh, a little bit because we were both introverts, but it was just he and I until my cousin arrived. And so he was teaching me these pearls of wisdom, you know, as an example. You know, he thought I needed to know the difference between a mule and a donkey. 
Uh, I have no idea why he thought that. Uh, <laughs> I, I've never used that information in my life, uh, but, but I do know the difference. Um, he also told me that even a blind rooster finds a kernel of corn every once in a while. Now, I have no idea what that means, uh, but, but those are the pearls of wisdom that he was, was giving me. So when he got about halfway through his plowing, he stopped and went in the woods for a potty break. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's trying to mentor me. Uh, he's trying to help me. He thinks I'm lazy, essentially not good for much. So I said, okay, I'm going to get up and, and plow the rows while he's in the woods. So he won't have to do that. You know, that, that's less work he'll have to do when he returns. Now, now, granted, I've never, you know, I've never plowed before, had no idea what I was doing. And so I got up, and the plow was about the same size I was. And I don't know if you've ever seen one. It's, it's a huge piece of equipment, most mostly metal. And so I got this thing upright. I put the reins behind my back. I knew the command to make the horse go forward, and so I gave the command. So the horse starts walking. The problem is the horse is cutting diagonally across my grandfather's perfectly plowed road. Oh, no. <laughs> I didn't know how to operate the plow. I didn't know how to steer the horse. I didn't know any of that. Now, let me pause for a second because I'm not advocating this. This is 2023. But just to be clear, back this was the mid-'60s. In the 60s, mid to late 60s, you could whip your kid. Mm. Uh, and, and in fact... And the 80s, too. Could, <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. But not only could you whip your kid, but, you know, one, we were on the farm and nobody would know anyway. But if anyone did, they would encourage it. So, it, it, you know, that, 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 was, that was the way uh, kids were disciplined then. And the disciplinary tool of choice was called a switch. Now, you're in Chicago. You probably don't know anything about that. But, no, but I know about switches. <laughs> all right. Switches. Belts and coal hangers and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> yeah, branch off of a tree. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking to myself, you know, my grandfather had never whipped me before. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm, we're in the middle of nowhere, switches on trees all over the place. So that's what's going through my mind as I'm really destroying his work. Mm. And so he... He, I'm, I'm almost all the way across the field now, coming up out of the field. It, I mean, we had walked that far with the horse. Mm. And my grandfather charges out of the woods, and he says, Larry, what are you doing? And, 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 and instinctively, if you can picture this in your mind, I'm 10, 11 years old, walking behind this plow, don't know what I'm doing. I knew the command to make the horse go forward, did not know the command to make the horse stop. And so I turned to try to look at my grandfather. I had my hands sort of out, trying to balance myself from falling down because I'm literally walking sideways now. And just out of instinct, I, I just kind of yelled to myself, you know, whoa, whoa. Of course, that was the, the command to make the horse stop. Now, I didn't know that at the time. So now the horse has stopped. I'm standing there. I'm looking at these switches, and my grandfather's charging toward me. And when he got to me, he said something that wasn't very articulate or probably not grammatically correct, but he said something to me that uh, has guided my life ever since, including now. And what he said to me was, it's okay to try and fail, but it's not okay not to try. Mm. And what he essentially was saying to me was, I'm proud of you for trying. The fact that you failed at it is okay because you're going to fail. Uh, and you're going to see things that are, look hard, but go try anyway. 
and don't worry about it if you fail. If you fail, that's okay. Get up and get back out there. You know, I tell a lot of folks, um, and I can't tease you about the Chicago Bears, by the way, because I'm a, I'm a Washington Commanders fan, so we're, we're both in about the same boat. <laughs> used to be a Commanders fan. Born, I was born and raised in D.C. used to be a Commanders fan, but now, yeah, I'm a oh, okay. Bears fan now. All right. So, uh, but I tell folks now, you know, you can't score a touchdown sitting on the bench. Uh, and so you've got to get out there in the game. you got to give it everything you've got. And by the way, speaking of the bench, there's always haters sitting on the bench telling you what you can and cannot do. Uh, I can't tell you the number of times I went through that in my life. People telling me what I couldn't do. You don't have this. You don't have that. You are from this neighborhood. You know, I, I every time that happened to me, and, I, and trust me, it happened all the way through my career, and it still happens. Every time someone told me that, I thought about what my grandfather said, and I jump in there anyway. And I'm not worried about failure because I learned from failures. And I, but the, the important thing is, I get back in the game and try to score a touchdown. So that there, there are tons of stories like that in the book to, to to kind of help people understand that you know again, you know this, you know there's no mystery to this. It is, it is hard work. It's perseverance. In my case, it was also faith, uh, and it was it was at the end of the day, you never, never, ever give up. Your story reminds me of what I read in uh, one of Colin Powell's books. Um, he mentioned when he became a, gen- a general for the first time um, that he basically was asking or looking to promote a bunch of officers to um, another rank. I can't remember what what, what, what uh, ranks they were moving through. But they brought him a list, and the list had all white men on it. Correct. So he said, well, bring me another list. I want, but this time I want you to open it up and look and see all the people that really are qualified to be on this list. And it was a, it was a, and he was talking about in the book that sexual is about affirmative action. But unlike what most people think about affirmative action, they think that, oh, you're taking an opportunity away from somebody else that's qualified. What Colin Powell did, we actually expanded the list and had more people looked at. So instead of having a list of 10 people, for example, it was a list of maybe 12 or 15 people. But more people were being looked at for the opportunity, and he picked the best people off that list. And it turned out that some of those people were black, some of those people were white, some of those people were female. But the reality was is that by, by, by opening up the scope or the view, he was able to find more talent and promote the talent that, needed, that deserved to be promoted. And that kind of reminds me of what you've been talking about is the fact that we – Really, we we are so afraid to fail and so afraid to make mistakes that oftentimes we don't take the chances and do the things we need to be doing. How, what would you say to people, young folks today? What would you advise them to do as far as trying to improve their themselves? As far as trying to find out, you know, how to test their metal to make sure that they are prepared for the challenges of life. No, absolutely. First of all, uh, I knew uh, General Powell very well. Uh, in fact, uh, where I consider him a mentor of mine. Uh, so let me uh, let me uh, fill in just for a second uh, part of your story. So that is it was, that was a true story. The Secretary of the Army is the one who got the one-star general list, and there were no people of color or women on the list. And I think it's for the first and only time sent the list back and, and essentially said, "Look, I'm not going to tell you." to go pick people of color, but I'm going to tell you, I don't believe this. And they reconvened the board. And when the new list came up, it, it was a different board of people. Uh, it did have folks of color on the list. And one of those 
folks of color on that list, that brand new one star list, was Colin Powell. Mm. Uh, and I often wonder what what may have happened to him had that not happened. Wow. Uh, right. But to answer your question directly, yeah, I encourage young folks, you know, to first of all, um, you know, set some goals and don't worry about, you know, I, I meet a lot of folks who say, well, I don't know what I want to be. Well, you know, I, I could probably say the same thing, thing, thing today, but that's okay. Step out into the water and start swimming. Um, and and don't worry about what direction you're going to end up in. Get out there and start swimming. And I try to encourage folks to, you know, first of all, get as much education as you can. Uh, and if you can't, like I did, I, I, I didn't, my parents didn't have the money to send me to college. So when I went into the Air Force, I enlisted, I went to night school, I went to school on the weekends, and I got my degree, and then I became an officer. So uh, I'm not saying it's easy. Uh, but get in the pool and start swimming uh, and, and prepare yourself. You know, one of the things that uh, I have always tried to do, I'm not sure if I was successful or not, but I always try to, to prepare myself to walk in the door when it's open. Uh, a lot of folks have a door open and they say, well, I can't do that or I'm not prepared for that. Um, every time that happened, uh, I thought about what my grandfather said, and I went through the door with enough confidence to know that I may not have all the skills or all the education they say you need for this job, but I'm going to figure it out. I, I, I learned how to ask the right questions. I learned how to read people so I knew who was telling me the truth and who wasn't. Uh, if I needed additional education, I went to get it. If I needed to study at home or at night, I did it. Uh, but I encourage young people to get out there and start swimming, get out there and make something happen. Hmm. Now I'm going to pivot us a little bit because, because you're a general and because you have so much uh, experience and history with the military, 40 years of experience. How do you see, what do you see as the biggest challenge facing the military today? Yes, yeah, good question. There's a lot of challenges today. One is uh, recruiting is very tough. Uh, in fact, the army is going to miss its recruiting goal or they project they will miss their recruiting goal in 2023, I think somewhere around 40,000. Wow. So mm -hmm. one of the real challenges today is um, a lot of folks don't want to join the military. Um, a lot of that, is, and there's a lot of reasons for that. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but less than 25% of Americans 18 to 24 years old are even eligible to join the military anymore. Hmm. Uh, a lot of that's based on physical fitness, based on a criminal background, based on prior drug use, et cetera. So there's so few people in the country now that are even eligible to join. Um, and, and then on, on top of that, um, you know, there's all kinds of issues going around, some political. You know, you got folks walking around talking about the quote-unquote woke military. Uh, be honest with you, I don't even know what that means. Uh, but but I don't and I don't think people who are saying it know what it means either. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of things swirling around uh, that have caused, uh, you know, including the small eligibility pool. But along with, there's just not that many folks who want to join. You know, when I uh, when I first joined the enlisted in the Air Force was the tail end of Vietnam. But even you look back World War II on forward to Vietnam, everyone knew someone in the military. You know, you had a mother, father, aunt, uncle, cousin, brother, sister in the military. That's completely gone now. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You, you stop someone on the street of our country and ask them, do they know anybody in the military? They will tell you no. Mm-hmm. You know, less and less folks in Congress uh, have any military experience or in our government or, or folks running for president anymore have never served in the military. So it is a real challenge that uh, I know the military leaderships are, are grappling with today. Thanks for your time and all the great stories. I really look forward to reading your book, Dark Horse. That is General, retired General Larry L. Spencer, four-star general, served 40 years in the Air Force. Keisha L. Jackson, U.S. Air Force veteran and family caregiver. Thanks, Keisha, for bringing us this great person. Yes, yeah, Sean. Thank you. Thank you, General Spencer. And thank you both for your service. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is America's Heroes Group. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to America's Heroes Group Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss an episode. And for more details, visit americashg.org.